morning, brothers and sisters. It's good to see you. Good morning, mate. Good, well. uh, good to see you all this morning. Got some noisy sit brothers here as well. Yeah. I call you all brothers and sisters this morning for a very specific reason. We're called in the Bible, we're told that we are all brothers and sisters. Mm. Even before we're fathers and sons or cousins or aunties and uncles, your first brothers and sisters in Christ. And I want to talk about that because we're going to be talking about God, our Father. We're going to talk about who He is. We always talk about Him. We know He tells us how to pray. Pray like this, our Father who is in heaven. So we talk about Him in our prayers. We think about Him, but... I don't think we spend a lot of time thinking about what does it actually mean for God to be our Father. You know, it was an interesting thing. I spent three years at Bible college studying. We had entire, there were entire units devoted to studying Jesus, to studying the Holy Spirit. There was absolutely nothing dedicated to God as our Father. It was this kind of neglected area. Because we all know what it means to be for God to be our Father. We all know that He is. So what more does that mean? And so we're going to explore today exactly what that does mean. And we're actually going to spend the next six weeks going through a series talking all about what does it mean for God to be our Father? What does that mean for us? Why is that comforting? Why, why throughout the whole Old Testament, He doesn't seem to talk about Himself as a Father, but then we get to the New Testament and it's everywhere. That's how he addresses himself to us. He says, I am your father. Jesus comes down and he says, just, just as you see me, you see the father. And so the whole New Testament's all about revealing who God is as our father. And so to understand that, and especially to understand that our view of God as our father is, is very much kind of hinges... And is influenced by who our fathers were, who our earthly fathers were. And we just want to get a proper understanding because often how we see our fathers can become a mirror through which we see God. And because of that, it can actually misconstrue who God is and we don't see him properly. So we're going to go through six aspects of being, of what a father is. Now, I grew up without a father, so... I don't exactly know all of the aspects of what it's like to have a father, but Michelle helped me write this up. So there are care. A father cares for his child. He protects his child, provides for his child, sacrifices for his child, teaches his child, and disciplines his child. We're going to go through each of those, seeing how God does those, seeing how our fathers did them, and how they may have failed in those areas but how that those, those failures are actually okay because we have a Heavenly Father. Amen. Mm. Amen. And so we're going to be using... A, the, I'm going to be illustrating a lot using children, even though I don't have my own. I've had enough experience... I should say enough experience with them, but I have experienced plenty of them, and I know you guys have plenty of experience. Most of you are definitely not under 25. Um, no, I don't say that. Anyway... You'll over me our first passage. We'll be jumping around a bit, but our first passage today is going to be Genesis 1 1. So we'll read it out. In the beginning. You got it? Yeah. Cool. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
This is the first thing we're ever told about God. He's a creator. Just like the first thing our dads ever did for us was make us. Whether or not that was an honourable or dishonourable thing they did, it doesn't matter. That was their first act as father. And that's something that, despite what our dads might have been like, that is something which we all owe to them. Now, the importance of God being creator, it actually shows his relationship to all of creation. Because when it says God created everything, that means that he is the father of everything. Everything that we see around us, us, the dirt, the ground, everything is his. And so that's an important thing because as he gives life to all of those things, as he sustains all of those things, we see that that's actually an aspect of his fatherhood. Because think as... Sorry, let me, let me get my bearings. Um, yeah, so as he is creator, we see that as he creates man and creates the garden, that he gives man a specific task. Can you go to Genesis? Sorry, you'll have to open the chapter. Um, press on that very full chapter button. Um, and go to Genesis 2.15. Anyway, he says, The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. There's another translation, the Good News translation. It calls it cultivate it and guard it. I really like the words more. He cares and he protects it. Man was told, you must care and tend for the garden and you must protect it. Protect it from that which is outside, which would seek to harm it. And we know that one of those things that would threaten to seek it and harm it was the serpent. And so God also gives, he gives this command to Adam. Why? Because it's something which God does as he cares and protects for creation still. It can seem like a bit of an interesting thing to ask when it seems like he's let this world fall into disarray. But this is the truth that he created the world, he protects it, and he still does to this day. And so there's this illustration of, if we think of as a child, what does a father do for a child? In caring for a child, he's meant to, well, take care of its well-being. Think of its needs. What does it need to be taught? What does it need to be a happy child, to, to grow up and develop into a healthy young adult? And so that was part of God and what God wanted Adam to do for the garden, what he wanted him to do for his children. Teach them and care for them that they would grow up into good young adults, people who follow the Lord. And there's also the aspect of protection. So just as there's the internal care for the child, a father looks out as well. And he sees that which is threatening the child from the outside. Those things which could hurt them, that can be actual physical protection, whatever, some scary dude running around with a knife. I don't know if that happens much in Deering. Um, Or whether it's just, there's so many things which, whether through technology or media or just being interacting with other people, that there's danger out in the world. There's things which could threaten our child just beyond their life. And so this is actually something which God gives to Adam and saying, I want you to do that. Protect, care. We know that Adam failed that. And we see the fruit of that in our fathers. So we think, think of our fathers and what they were like. Did they care and protect us? And I know a lot of us might not have had dads that cared or protected us. And maybe some of us had really good dads who did. But I think we all know that there are fathers that they neglected their responsibility. They don't spend time loving us, caring for us. 
There are some who have run away. There are some who are constantly away at work. One who think that their responsibility for a child is simply to work and then to come home and that's pretty much it. Now, that's not what God's care is like. Because we understand that God's care is something much greater than that. And we also see that a lot of our fathers don't protect us from the evil of the world. Evil of the world like they should. Thinking back through your upbringing, do you remember being protected from everything? Do you remember growing up in a state of innocence? We talk about children having a state of innocence. And then we, you know, I don't know, maybe they watch some kind of episode of Bluey that's maybe a bit edgy. And suddenly it's like, oh, I'm pretty sure all, all of Bluey is quite good from what I've heard. But we seek to protect these from these outside influences. But some fathers just don't do that. We see them drinking obsessively or just not being a good dad or a good husband to their wives. And so the innocence of that child is broken. And this is all the result of the fall. Just as our innocence has been broken and all of our the care that our fathers should have had for us, a lot of that has been taken away and it's marred by sin. And so a lot of that shows up in us. As we grow up, we didn't have perfect fathers. So when our fathers didn't care for us, we you can see it in ways that because we weren't loved, we weren't shown affection, we can often throw ourselves after things which would have which would give us love and affection. We throw ourselves after anything that might give us that. Whether that's relationships or other people or whatever that might be, even other people's fathers. We throw ourselves after them just desperately wanting the care and attention of a father. Because we all need that. We all want that. But unfortunately, they just don't do that. We, we all want someone to be the centre of our world. We want someone to look at and to be able to look up to. But we just don't get that. And I think when our fathers don't protect us, we get this feeling of insecurity. Every child should be able to go home and feel safe, feel secure, not have to worry about things outside. But some children don't have that upbringing. And so what do we get? We grow up in a way where we don't trust anyone, anything. We had to defend for ourselves, so what do we do? We build up in any way we can defences around us. I know that I used to do that a lot in the way of friends and money. That was the only way I knew to defend myself because a lot of times I wasn't provided for in that way. And so I was sent out to kind of forage for myself. And so the idea that anyone would provide for me seems so foreign. But yet we come to the reality that, okay, we may have had good dads and bad dads, but we actually have a heavenly father. And when I say that he was the creator of all and he created all of us, we had our fathers, but we are all have a heavenly father as well. We might run away from him and seek to estrange ourselves from him, but he is always our father. We can't get rid of that title. And when our fathers leave us craving attention and they don't give us that attention and that love, it can be destructive to put that on other people. But God actually tells us, you can put all, I want to be the center of your world. I want to be that everything to you. When we try to make other people or our children or anything the center of our world, it just ends up destructive. But when we make God the center of our worlds, he's actually someone who can fulfill that because he's infinite. He is massive. He can take on that role. Amen. Mm. And the reality of God protecting us. I want to talk about 
There's a passage you don't have to go to this. Isaiah 41.13 For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. There are so many external dangers in this world. When you think about the fact that so God didn't just create the world and then leave it and then we kind of defend from whatever might come. God continually sustains everything. He's holding this roof up, roof up, roof up right now. He's giving us breath and life. He gives us all these things and he could take it away from us at a second. But yet he doesn't do that. He continues to give those things to us to protect us from sickness and disease. And I just... When you just think about the overwhelming amount of things, we, we don't think it's strange to live to 80, but it is a strange thing because when you think about the sicknesses and the car crashes that happen and the people that get taken in, think about the fact that there used to be needles and strawberries. Like, we never know where something could come from. But the reality is, when you have this, when you think about all those things out there, it can be terrifying and overwhelming to think that your life could end at any second. But then when you understand that there is a God who controls all and who is your father, he's not some distant thing, but his relation to you is as you're his son or his daughter. And he is protecting you right now at this very moment from many things which we don't even see or understand. It frees us from the reality of having to build up security for ourselves. When he says, don't worry, I will provide everything you need. It frees us from the security of having to have money or even having to have strong supportive families. We should have strong supportive families. But if we don't have them, that is not the end of our world because we have a Heavenly Father who supplies that. And that's hopefully something which could free us from needing to fill the place of our Father in caring and protecting for ourselves. We're going to talk about another two aspects now. God is provider. God is... Sorry, God is one who provides. God is one who sacrifices. So we'll go to Matthew 6. 31 to 34. Thanks, son. So, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day for its own troubles. God in himself is a God who provides. There's this important aspect of himself which we call his self-existence, or the fact that he needs nothing. And it can seem like a foreign thing, but... It's this important thing when you apply it to the aspect of him being a father. When he's a father who needs nothing, the only thing he does is give. He's not a father who requires something from us for us to, for him to do it. He is someone who always gives. That is his, his default mode, is just continually to give. And when you think about it, and again, we look at creation. This world has been spinning for whatever you might think it is, 6,000, 10,000, 6 billion years. That's all tangential. He's been caring for it, and we're all sitting here right now. If God wasn't caring for this world, we wouldn't be here. Yeah, because he continues to sustain all that. And so think about how he has cared for every blade of grass, for every animal that's ever lived, and how he's cared for, I'm pretty sure it's 100 billion people that have lived. 
it can be an astounding thought, but the, the main point is God is a provider. He gives unconditionally. He gives without warrant, without needing or ever requiring anything from us because he's an infinite supply. And so he just always gives. It's the overflow of his cup. And so we see that hymn. And then we go to John 3.16, which I think a lot of us will know anyway. Who knows? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that who should, whoever should believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's such an important thing. And because there's an aspect to provision that yes, God is an infinite supply, but we don't think that giving doesn't require sacrifice. Giving always requires giving up of yourself. And God can continually give up of himself because there's no end to him. He's a father which continually sacrifice for his children, never ask anything in return because he never needs anything in return. And the importance of that because it reminds us that he had to give his own son, that he had to sacrifice his own son, that he might bring us in as his own sons and daughters and call us his own. To die for us on the cross was part of restoring our relationship with the Father. And so the illustration of children, again, it's it's something which a father has to do. It's which parents have to do. There's a constant provision. Children are helpless. Children are born. They're not like, like cows or something or horses where they just come out and they're walking. But they're, they don't start walking for a full year, sometimes longer. And let alone, when we don't call them adults till they're 18 years old. Most cows are well and dead by then. We've eaten them already. But it's this important provision of parents that must provide. And better yet, it always comes out of what the parents have to sacrifice. The parents aren't just given what they need. They have to go and work for it. And out of, out of what they have, they have to give to that child without expecting anything in return from them. And it's not an easy thing, I can't imagine. But it's something which all parents are called to do, and we see that in children. But then think about what our fathers did again. I think about... Like, this, this is one that hits me personally. Because I think about the two, the two parents that I had in my life. My mother, I remember this just very specific to- story. She had a lot of imperfections, but the one thing that she got right was generosity towards her children. I used to work at Subway, and every night I would finish up at 9.30, she would come pick me up, and I just loved to have two cheeseburgers from Macca's afterwards. That's always what I wanted. And this was at a moment in time when we didn't have a whole lot of money. But we rocked up to the drive-thru at Macca's and it's a, we had, her card had declined earlier that week and I'm like, are you sure? Like, I can pay for this. And she's like, no, as long as I've still got money in my bank account, I will always buy you cheeseburgers. It was just this overflow of who she is that she couldn't help but give generously to me, to her child. And it's the same aspect with our father in heaven. He just, he can't help but give to us. And, but as we think of some of the ways that our parents might have failed us, I think of, I think of my father, who was the complete opposite of that. When I was born, he thought, I, I can't sacrifice, I, I can't make that sacrifice to provide for that. I'm going to leave that to your mother and ran off. And that's a, that's a result of a fallen world where... One, he didn't think he could provide. One, because he definitely didn't know his heavenly father. He didn't know he had infinite provision available. That God would always provide. If he brought a child into this world, God will provide for that child. But it's an important thing that fathers run away from that responsibility. And I think 
Some fathers, even that stick around, they're always going to see their child as a burden. When God tells us that they're a blessing, we can feel the fact that some of our fathers just saw us as burdens. They didn't see us as a blessing to them. And it is just a fault of sin. It's just we are prideful and look into ourselves. And so sometimes our fathers, whether they saw it or not, some of them might not have intentionally done it. They just have grew up knowing, well, my job is to provide. And so they went away to work and that was all there was to it. Yeah, anyway. um, Just when we look at ourselves after being raised by our fathers like that, it can, we can struggle, I think, because if we weren't provided for as a child, I know myself, I was filled with a constant worry and anxiety. I have to provide for myself. I, it's just me and myself. There's no one else to provide. Who was I going to look to for support? And so it was this constant anxiety that just washed over me all the time. And let alone the generosity, which was something my mother gave to me, but when I was struggling, it was non-existent. It wasn't there. Like, when, when I was struggling, it was all about me, myself, and I. And generosity was not something that flowed out of me because I thought I had limited resources. And I think, let alone, when we have to, again, fend for ourselves to provide for ourselves, we develop this independence. We don't ask for help. This, again, is something I really struggle with. I don't like asking for help. And, but it's something that naturally comes that we learn from our fathers when we're not provided for, when they don't sacrifice for us. We struggle to imagine that we could ever do that for others. We struggle to imagine that we could ever look beyond ourselves. But this is, this is again, the great solution. God, having God as our Father, seeing that He is the Father of all creation, that He is your Father, whether you like it or not, you're willing, you are free to accept that, you're free to reject it. But He tells us that we're dependent on Him for everything. Every breath we take, for every child we have, for all the family we have, He gave that to us. Everything we have is a gift from Him. And all we do is take, take, take from Him. He feeds us, he clothes us. And better yet, every single one of us has rejected him at some point. And he never, he never stopped feeding us and protecting us. He still retained what his responsibilities were as a father and continued to do them long after we rejected him. But just, just imagine how amazing and great the provision is. How much he will freely give you anything you could ever wish if you turn and accepted him. He'll provide for you to the day you die. Because you are, because he made you. But when we become his child, he tells, I will provide for you for an eternity. There is no end to what I will give you. And so when you're, when you're freed up from that, from I don't have to be my provider anymore. I don't, I don't have to be the one that's constantly just sacrificing and taking from myself. It then frees us up. It frees us up to actually live as Christians. It frees us up from having to worry with constant anxiety about will I be provided? Because God says... I will provide. Do not worry. Don't be anxious. Look at the birds. They always have food. Look at the lilies of the field. They're clothed. You do not need to worry. And so that's the promise of our Heavenly Father. He tells you that I fulfill that role as your Father. I will provide for you and I will sacrifice for you. Okay. We're going to our last two again. Now God is a teacher. And so as a Father, He teaches us. He disciplines us. So we'll go to Psalm 119, 33 and 40. Got it up? Cool. Um, So he tells us. So this is someone praying to God. 
Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law, observe it with, and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. And behold, I long for your precepts in the righteousness, in your righteousness that give me life. Mm. This person in this psalm, he, he wants to learn. And so what does he do? He prays to God that he might teach him. Because this is the reality that God is our teacher. That he is a father who teaches us. That he wants us to learn what is right and what is good. Now I think this is one of the ones that we are very much free to reject. And I think that if we don't want God to teach us or to tell us what to do, we are free to close our ears and to not give him any bit of our patience. But we're also free to open our ears. And he said, I will freely tell you everything. I will, I will give you wisdom and understanding with which to live a good life. The good life that I have set for you. The good life which is listening to me and trusting in me. Amen. And it's important because he wants us to understand what is right from wrong. We try to discern that ourselves and it just does not work. You think about, you know the book of Judges, it says right at the end, everyone did what was right in their own eyes for they had no king. Because they only had themselves to look in on and so what did they do? They, they wrote their own laws and their own commandments, and that's what they live by. And look at the world now. We can see everyone lives by their own, their own rules, their own commandments in their hearts because they don't listen to their Heavenly Father. And we'll go to Hebrews 12 as well, 5 to 11. Yeah. Because there's an important aspect to teaching, which especially if you have children, you'll definitely know, which is discipline. Um, and not discipline in the, you know, Oh, I get up at 4.30 a.m. because I'm so disciplined. But the disciplining of a child. So, I'm just finding a place here. Um, so, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be wary when reproved by him. If the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, for what son is there whom his son does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? If they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. Hmm. Now, this is a reality that God disciplines us. This This is an aspect of his teaching us. Because the reality is God wants us to walk in his ways. A big part of how he does this is suffering. That that is primarily the way he teaches us. Is to suffer. Because by that, we're ridded and we're humbled. We're ridded of any self-conception that we might know what is right and what is wrong. And it humbles us. And we get simply left with, Oh God, what does your word say? And I'll trust that. Amen. That's what we're left with. And so, that's what he wants. He's disciplining us for our good. For our good that we might turn from our foolish ways and turn to his and trust in him. And it's the same when you look at your children, when you raise them up. I heard this um, 
quote once, I think, that babies aren't angels, they're vipers and divers. They're, they're not born. We, can, we talk about the state of innocence which they have, but the reality is they, they are pre-installed with sin on the inside. It comes with them. It's like the pre-installed apps on your iPhone when you get it. There's always, you know, whatever random apps are on an iPhone. But it doesn't come with a blank slate. And the innocence that we talk about, that's protecting them from what's outside, what is evil, and protecting them from that. But there is something on the inside, which you can see children are selfish from the day they're born. That's why they constantly take. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's part of the fact that they're helpless. But there is a selfishness in every child. And every parent surely knows that. And so it's part of the reality. We have to teach our children how to be good. We have to teach them how to love. I remember um, Derek telling me that, that he had to teach each and every one of his daughters how to love. That, you know, when they run up in a huff, you know, no, say I love you to your mother. It's a taught, it's a taught thing to love. It can, be under, it can be hard when we're adults because we know what it is to love. But we were taught that by our parents. And I think it's good because we discipline our children as well. We tell them what is right from what is wrong. We encourage the good and we discourage the, the bad. We try to raise them up in what we know is best. Now, again, think of how our fathers might have failed at this. I know plenty of dads that say, do not as I say, but as I do. Wait, I'm sorry. How is it? Do as I say, not as I do. They say that because they know their actions are wrong, but they don't want to give those actions up. They say, okay, just listen, listen to what I'm saying. Do not follow my actions. Which we, again, know just doesn't do anything. If you see your dad doing something, you want to do what your dad's doing. Because that's, that's the cool thing to do. I want to, I want to be like my dad. That's every child's dream a lot of the time as they're growing up. But the problem is they often teach us wrong rather than right. Our dads aren't perfect. They don't know everything. We very quickly learn our parents are imperfect. And so they imper- sorry, impute those imperfect ways to us. And I think there's something to be said for there are fathers who disciplined us for the wrong reasons, who disciplined us with no purpose. These are dads who neglected what it meant to discipline, which discipline wasn't meant to be, well, you annoyed me, so I'm going to discipline you. It was discipline you for the good. It was always with the child's best interest in mind. And some fathers just didn't do that. Unfortunately, they, to put it bluntly, they abused their children. And that's a sad, sad reality of a broken world. And for people like me who just had no dad, I was never taught certain aspects. I was, I was, I've never been a son to a father. And so I never learned a lot of those things. And it's hard because, and I never really had people teach me them. I, I would go to, I'd have to Google how to save. Like, I was never taught that. And so it's, well... <laughs> Ah, oh, that's funny because I don't shave. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Funny. <laughs> so you can see my dad obviously failed me. Um, and so this is all the result here of an absent father. Um, but when we come to it, we see it, how it manifests itself in our lives. When we grow up, when we become fathers and things like that. I remember growing up that there's a reality that teaching requires submission. Submission to someone greater than you. You have to trust that your dad knows better than you. And that requires submitting to him and trusting that what he's teaching you is right. And I think that for me, when I didn't have that, 
I didn't want to accept any authority. I never had an authority over me. My mum was not a, a spiteful whack. I got the wooden spoon once in my life. She was not an authoritarian. And so I grew up thinking I was the authority. And so I didn't want to submit to any external outside of me. And then also the reality, I say this lightly because I don't want to go on hard on people who have been abused or anything like that. But when our dads discipline us harshly, it can lead to us becoming very insular. We do not trust anyone. We do not trust anything. And we can begin to identify as victims. And it's, it's a harsh thing to be disciplined with no reason, without reason. It doesn't make sense in a child's head. But I do understand that there's an importance that God says, I never discipline you for no reason. Your, your fathers did as what they thought was best. They did as they had been taught. But God always does only because he loves you. Only because he has every best interest. He's not thinking about himself when he disciplines you. He's thinking about you. And so when we talk about how a heavenly father, how does, how does he rectify these things? I think it's really important because when we look at our upbringings, we can think that we are defined by them. And they, very, they, they paint us deeply, who we are, our upbringing. But with God, we have to understand that who we are, who, who our father made us to be, who our mother made us to be, it's not the end of the story. That God is actually deeper. That he was there at the moment that you were born into this world. And that he has been in control of it ever since. And it's something which frees you. Because he can also undo the pain from the past. That he can undo things. That just because you had a bad father, you you always had a good one. And he's freely ready to step in if you're willing to accept it. And it, it will take time and it will be hard and it will be painful to work through some things. But he can undo the effects of a bad dad. Because he is asking, he says, you, you had a bad, I had none. What, what, what would it be like me raising children? I'm like, I've never been shown what it's, how to be a father. But I don't have to struggle with that so much, knowing that I actually had a father the whole time. A father who will freely teach me how to, how to discipline and teach my children, how to care and protect for them. Because my model doesn't come from my father, it actually comes from my heavenly one. When I look to that, I see how to properly do it. If we're always looking to our fathers to see how to parent, that may be a good thing and that may be a bad thing. But we always have a perfect example of heaven, something we can look to. And so, I think, yeah, we only have to accept one thing, that we have to be willing to submit to the teaching of God. We have to be willing to trust that His way is best, to believe that this is what He's given us, to believe that he has done it, as, that he has led us as he has for the last, all of our lives, and that he wants to teach us. And so, just as we draw to a close now, I just want to think of those who, maybe you, maybe you had a really good father. You think of those six aspects of a father. You're like, my father aced all of those. I've met Derek. He, he doesn't ace all of them, but he, he was a good father. I know that. My wife tells, tells me that he was a good father. He didn't fail massively in one of those areas. But the reality is, can you recall one time, I just asked one time, where any of your fathers messed up in that area? For those that think, like, that, well, know that you had a good father. We all know, we all learn that our fathers are imperfect. We all learn that there was a flaw in them. And so it still leaves us with the fact that we need a perfect example. And so... I think for those who've had a good father, understand that you have an even better one. 
understand that you can look up and see a, a father who has fulfills every sixth of those aspects, who is a good and heavenly father. And I think for those, which probably relates a lot more to us, what about a, a God, well, God didn't care for me. You say God was my father. He's always been there. It really didn't seem like it. And I, I really resonate with that one. I understand why it can seem like God was absent a lot of our lives. For things, for evils that we might have had to go through that we never should have had to go through. And I think as a child looks up to a parent, we don't understand a lot of what our parents do when you smack them and tell them, oh, you shouldn't be doing this. They know a lot of the, They don't understand it a lot of the time. It's a repetition over time that they begin to understand, or as they become adults, they see it. But I think it's it's the same with God. When you think of Romans eight twenty eight, for God works all things to the good of those of Him who are called according to His purpose. We don't understand that promise, but I'll gladly hold on to it because. The reality is I, I'm never going to be able to understand that some of the things that you guys have gone through in your upbringing, I'm not going to understand how God is working that for your good. The only example I can point to is Jesus. Amen. Because the reality was his father absolutely loved him, but yet he was beaten, hated, and then crucified on the cross, fully according to what his dad wanted. His dad sent him there for that very purpose. And that was some, that thing that happened. His crucifixion was an evil thing. But out of that, we're all sitting here today knowing the greatest good came of that evil. And so my only hope that when we had evil or bad upbringings, or we had to go through it, it felt like God wasn't there. All I can say is he was there. That there are ways to walk through those things and see that God was at work and then the whole time leading you right now to him. And that he will work everything, I don't know how, but in eternity he will work everything, every evil, into good. And I think when we think about Jesus now, the reality is we all had bad dads. And God is that perfect father that we needed. We all need a perfect father that we need someone to show us the way. We need someone to lead before us and show us the right way. And yet... We estranged ourselves from him. We took ourselves away from him. And it, it's just part of our sinful nature. We, we want to look in, not out towards him. But we know that Jesus died on the cross. That there was this great gap between us. He closed that. And he says in Hebrews 4.16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We could not approach God before we had been forgiven of our sins. The reality is we couldn't go to our Father because of our sin. But Jesus came and dealt with all that, and now he says, come freely. Do not worry that there is any punishment or condemnation coming from him. Everything, he only, when God looks at you now in Christ, he smiles at you, and he loves you, and he is the perfect Father. You want him to smile and look at you. And so, yeah, I would just encourage, we're going to be going through this series for another five weeks after this. And, It'll be painful for a lot of us, I think, because granted, we can we can ignore it if we want, but if our fathers imprint how we see God the Father, there are things that need to, that we need to work through and to be undone to see God the Father clearly. And you want to see God the Father clearly, because it will only bring you joy. It will only be a good thing. But it will be painful to work through things like that. 
So we do have Bible studies on... Sorry, I should probably pray and then talk about this. Um, but I will say, this, this series for the next six weeks is going to be more impactful if you honestly walk through it with people. If you want to do it individually, you can. But it is something that will require the wisdom of other people, not just ourselves. Um, and so I will talk about some stuff after we pray. Yeah. Anyway, you wouldn't mind bowing your heads and praying now. Our Father who is in heaven, we thank you that you came down, that though there was a massive gulf which divided us, that you came down, you bridged that gap through your Son, and now we can approach you, Lord, humbly, with confidence that you will never throw us out, you will not cast us out, you will never do wrong to us. But no, Lord, you say, come to me, I will give you everything, an inheritance beyond what we could ever imagine. And Lord, just as we think about all the aspects of what it means to be a father, that we know that you do all of them perfectly. That if we just lifted our eyes and focused on you, that we would rid ourselves of the insecurities we may have, rid ourselves of needing to be our own authority. And, oh, Lord, we would be freed up to be your children. So I pray that you would free us up to be like that and bless us throughout the rest of this series and just keep us safe as we travel the rest of today, Father, and bless this time that we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, So, yeah, I would say we have Bible studies Tuesdays and Thursdays. For the next six weeks, we're going to be going. Wow, my voice is absolutely dying. God, give me a voice, please. Um, We're going through Tuesdays and Thursdays. So Tuesday down here in Deer and Thursday up in St. George. We will be going through questions related to this sermon, going through what it means for God to be our Father. And it will be not quite the sermonic kind of Bible studies that we have. It will be a lot more open. And I would encourage you, if you can, to get along to those things. If you can't, please come talk to Rob, come talk to Derek, come talk to me. And we want to work something out. We do want everyone to be able to get the most out of this sermon series as they can. And so, yeah, I would encourage that. I think that's all I've got. Oh, sorry, also, we have daily readings um, throughout that Derek has prepared um, that you're free to follow. Morning devotions, essentially. Um, We've got 30 copies in paper, but also if you prefer it in an email, come talk to me or Michelle, and we'll put you on that. Yep, that's all. Thank you.